to Isaiah chapter number one to start with. Isaiah chapter number one. And uh, if you've been with us uh, normally, if you're part of our church family, you know that we're usually in the book of Mark. Uh, but on Old Fashioned Sunday, I thought I have to preach from the Old Testament. You see what I did there? Um, I couldn't preach from the New Testament. Uh, no, I just felt the Lord's leading uh, to bring a message from the book of Isaiah this, this morning. And, and uh, I believe uh, the Lord has this for us today. And um, I hope that it is a blessing and a challenge and an encouragement to all of us. And uh, as you're finding that, or if you're there, if you please stand in for the reading of God's Word out of respect and reverence for the Holy Word of God. We're going to read just the first four verses. Let this be a launching pad, and we're going to spend the bulk of our time in Isaiah chapter 5 and, and chapter number 6 as well. But Isaiah chapter number 1 and verse number 1, the Bible says this, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Lord, we're grateful for your, the day already. Thank you for the, uh, the great things that the children have been learning, the truths of your word and the truths of who you are. And Lord, thank you for the time to sing and the time to give. Lord, now as we turn our attention to the Holy Word of God, I pray that you would help us to um, understand what you have to say to us today. Help us, Lord, to be good hearers and then good doers of the Word so that we don't deceive our own selves. I pray, Lord, that you speak to every heart today. And may all of us be receptive and willing to obey and submit to you. We pray these things in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <coughs> I'm going to share a story that uh, I have shared with some in our church family may remember this story, but there may be several who have not heard this story. But every time I tell the story, I do need to kind of make a gentleman's agreement that we're not going to take this outside the walls because it's an embarrassing story. Okay, it took place when I was five years old at El Dorado Park in Lancaster, California. Uh, my dad uh, is here today. He's visiting from California. And it's great to have him here today. Um, and he may remember this, but um, I was on a t-ball team. And uh, my dad probably had high hopes that I was going to be in the major leagues one day and thought, I got to start him somewhere. And so we're going to start him in t-ball. They put, him, put me on the t-ball team, and I was on the Reds. I do remember I was on the Reds. And uh, I remember one time it was my turn to bat. And for those who don't really know anything about t-ball, basically what they do is they put the ball on the tee, and 
It just it's just stationary, and then and then the the child is supposed to hit that ball off the tee. And just like in real baseball, there are strikes. So I got up to bat. I grabbed the bat, and I swung, and I was looking. I mean, it was like in my mind I was going to hit this homer way over the fences. I mean, it was, and the crowd was going to go wild, and the scouts were going to sign me to a major league contract right then and there. I mean, that's what was going through my mind. And so I, I had in my bat, and, and I swung as hard as I could because I knew I had to do that in order to get it over the fence and to eventually become that day a professional baseball player. Well, I completely whiffed. And it went just way over the ball. And I'm thinking, oh, man, that's embarrassing. But that's only strike one. And so I thought, okay, well, now I need to go lower. I swung way too high on that one. I need to lower that down a little bit. And I went back, and same thing. I thought, this thing is going to go over the fence. I mean, everybody's going to go bonkers over this one. And I swung as hard as I could, and I knocked the tee over, and the ball just went. <laughs> Strike two. I'm thinking... Okay, okay, okay. So I went a little too high that time, a little too low this time. Now I've got it. Just kind of go right in the middle of where I've been, and this thing's going to go over the fence, and I'm going to become a Major League Baseball player on the spot. So I swung as hard as I could, and the same thing happened. I hit the tee. The ball just went, strike three. I'm out. I didn't know it was possible to strike out in t-ball. Like, that's hard to do. But I figured it out. Well, I began to cry. My dad came over and got me and brought me back to the dugout and said, it's okay, son. But even still to this day, t-ball, every time I see t-ball, I kind of start shaking. (laughs) Here's what my problem was, okay? My problem was I was focused on the wrong thing. See, I was focused on the... Uh, the results, instead of focusing on what I was supposed to be focusing, was keeping my eye on the ball. Okay, Isaiah here, as we go through chapters 5 and 6, we're going to see him change his focus as he goes through a progression. And I want to encourage all of us to have the right focus as we go through our lives as well. Now, in Isaiah chapter number 1 and verse number 4, he has his eyes on what's going on in his nation, in in Judah there. And in in verse number 4, he describes it very succinctly and sums up the condition of uh, Judah. And he said in verse number 4, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel into anger. They are gone away backwards. So... Here, Isaiah is kind of focused on um, what's going on around him. And and we're going to look at some of these focuses here. First, we're going to see here that Isaiah had a focus on the rebellion without. He had a focus on the rebellion without. And it was easy for him to see what everybody else was doing that was wrong. And there was definitely some things that were wrong there in Judah and in Israel at the time. And if you go over to chapter number 5, we're going to look at a little bit more, and I'm skipping over a lot here, uh, but I do want to just focus in on chapter number 5 and chapter number 6. 
And see, Isaiah had a focus on the rebellion without, and they had rebelled. And in, in chapter 1, in verse number um, 2, at the end of that verse, it says, They have rebelled against me, God says. And then chapter number 5, he begins to detail uh, the different ways in which the nation of Israel and Judah had rebelled against uh, the Lord. And they had indeed rebelled against Him. They rebelled against the one who had delivered them from the bondage of Egypt, the one who had blessed them and protected them, the one who brought them into the promised land, the one who did great things for them, and yet they still walked away from them. They turned their back upon Him, and how sad that was. And they walked away from that. On this old-fashioned Sunday here in Oklahoma, right smack dab in the middle of the good U.S. of A., we once had a great start too, didn't we? We once had a godliness about our nation, but as we consider where we are here at the end of 2022, it's, it's, it's no question that we have also, as a nation, rebelled against the God who gave us our liberty in the first place. And uh, as Isaiah looked at his nation, and as we look at our nation, we can see that rebellion without. Now, this was true, that in that they were a nation filled with several things in their rebellion. What were these things that they were filled with that showed and evidenced themselves in their rebellion? Well, let's look at chapter number 5 here and, and pick it up in verse number 8. First, they were filled with greed. The Bible says in verse number 8, Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, till there be no place that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. In verse number 9, In mine ears said the Lord of hosts of a truth, Many houses shall be desolate, even great and fair without inhabitant. Yea, ten acres of vineyard shall yield one bath, and the seed of an homer shall yield an ephath. Well, verse number 8 kind of tells us that uh, they, would, they would just basically be so greedy that they had to have more and more homes, and, and it was kind of like uh, the game of Monopoly. Now, that wonderful uh, game that causes zero drama in homes, Monopoly. Yeah, right. Uh, we have Monopoly, and there's been many times where our children have been playing that while I was trying to take a nap, and that doesn't usually happen real well. Uh, naps don't happen real well when Monopoly is getting played because there is passion that comes out in that game. Why? Because we all have a greedy heart. We all want more and more and more, and we want to win. And, and, and I'm thankful for capitalism. I'm thankful for the opportunity to accumulate some wealth by hard work here in America. I'm thankful for that. But uh, there was, in, in Israel, this had gotten to the point where it was greed and it was covetousness. Now, I want to remind all of us this uh, morning that we as believers are instructed to live not with covetousness, but rather with contentment, which is the complete opposite of covetousness. Well, the nation of Israel failed to be content with the things that they had. They wanted to have more and more. Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, till there be no place. And they were basically oppressing the poor and kind of taking their property and their land and their homes and, 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 and adding it to their portfolio uh, rather than being content with what they had. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse number 10 tells us, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. 
nor he that loveth abundance with increase, this also is vanity. I remember what Paul said to Timothy, that the love of money is the root of all evil, which while many have pierced themselves through with many sorrows, this idea that we're never satisfied with what we have. Are we like that in America? I would dare say, yes, we are. I want to remind us that money cannot satisfy. Somebody said, well, if I only had this amount of money, then I will be happy. Really? There's many record, uh, or there's lots of records of people who have won the lottery and ended up having tremendous ruin in their life and heartache. That you think, well, boy, if I had that windfall, then everything would be perfect. No. But these people were uh, wanting, wanting to get so much that they were oppressing the poor. And Proverbs 14.31 says, He that oppresseth the poor reproacheth his maker, but he that honoreth him hath mercy on the poor. In Proverbs 28, verse 22, He that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye, and considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. Now, I don't know where everybody stands on the COVID-19 vaccine, but there is a biblical vaccine for uh, greed and covetousness, and that is contentment. You can't be content and greedy at the same time. So, uh, my friend, if you're struggling with greed like the people in Israel were, I would encourage you to take a healthy dose of contentment. And as the song says, to count your blessings and to name them one by one, and, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. So in that day in which Isaiah was living, he looked at his nation and said, yeah, they've rebelled. They're bad because they're filled with greed. But next, they were not only filled with greed, they were also filled with addiction. Verse number 11, chapter 5. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning. Okay, I know young people go, hey, amen, yeah, we shouldn't have to wake up early. We get to, should have to get sleep in. Let's keep reading the verse. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night, till wine inflame them, exclamation point. Verse 12, and the harp and the vial and the tabernacle and pipe and wine are in their feast, but they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of his hands. So in verse 11, we see this people that they would wake up early in the morning for one purpose, to go to the bottle. For one purpose, to get intoxicated, to go to the strong drink. And they would do that until the nighttime. They were addicted. They couldn't stop. Uh, that verse 11, at the end of it, it says, Till wine inflame them. What language? If you would flip in your Bible back to Proverbs chapter number 23. Well, good thing nobody here in America is addicted to alcohol. Yeah, there's too many liquor stores here and more. Because one is too many. When we first moved here to Oklahoma, I remember Brother Randy telling us that, hey, they had just passed a law to make 
alcohol legal in a lot of these different uh, stores. And so all these stores were having to like remodel so that now they can start making some real money with the alcohol sales. Proverbs chapter 23, your Bible is there. Turn, look in verse number 29. Let's talk about the addictive nature of alcohol. In verse 29, who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babbling, who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of eyes, who is this, who fits these qualifications? Well, verse 30 tells us who, they that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. And then he says in verse 31, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright, because at the, last, at the last it biteth like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women. Thine, eye, thine heart shall utter perverse things. And we all know this, that alcohol does tweak our judgment. We're not thinking straight when we're drunk. We're under the influence of alcohol. That's what the Bible's saying here. Verse 34, Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, thou shalt say, and I was not sick. You'll wake up in the morning going, hey, I wasn't sick, but I feel sick. He's talking about a hangover here. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I wake? Sad part in verse number 35, at the end of the verse, it says, I will seek it yet again. I know the destructive nature of alcohol. I know what it does to me, but you know what? I can't stop. I'm going to seek it yet again. If you flip back to Isaiah chapter number 5, that's exactly what was going on in the nation of Israel in verse number 11. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink and continue until night to wine and flame them. And it got to the point in verse number 12, the harp, the vial, the tabard, the pipe, and the wine are in their feast. They're having all kinds of parties. They're having all kinds of fun. They're having all kinds of music. But you know what they don't have? Verse 12, they regard not the work of the Lord. They don't have thoughts of God. Because alcohol has overtaken them. And they don't consider the operation of His hands. Alcohol. I know in a day and age we live, people are still addicted to alcohol. They're addicted to drugs, addicted to marijuana. And I'm sad to report to you, you may already know this, but in Mar Mar on March 7th, 2023, so just in a few months from now, Oklahoma is going to vote on whether to legalize the recreational use of marijuana. How did it get to this point? How sad uh, that we are, and, and there are several states already that have it legalized, and we all know that. We've become a culture that's addicted. We're addicted to alcohol. We're addicted to drugs. We're addicted to marijuana. We're addicted to pornography. This is a drug that is very difficult to break the addiction. The statistics are pretty alarming that I read even today that there was 64% of men in the church view pornography on purpose every single month. 64%. It's 
So that would mean if we had all the men stood up in here and we would take two-thirds of them, that would be the statistic. I obviously hope that that's not the case in this room. I obviously hope it's zero percent, that we're all trying to walk in integrity and purity before our great God. But statistics are sadly probably pretty accurate. Now again, hopefully not in this church family. That we're guarding our minds and our eyes and that we're making a covenant with our eyes and, and trying to keep ourselves walking in purity. But look, there's no doubt we are living in a culture today, much like the day in which Isaiah wrote, that is filled with addiction, where people can't stop certain things. So they were filled with addiction. Thirdly, they were filled with sin and scoffing. Moving on here in verse number 18, he says, He issues another woe to this nation of Israel. Woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity, and sin, as it were, uh, with a cart rope. And verse number uh, 19, that say, Let him make speed and hasten his work, that we may see it, and let the counsel of the Holy One draw nigh and come, that we may know it! Exclamation point. So they walked around, chained to their sin, and they completely mocked the judgment of God. Verse 18, they draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin as it were with a cart rope. They were bound in their sin, and, and you know what? They were so flaunting their sin, they got to the point where they began to completely scoff and mock our God. They began to say in verse 19, yeah, when is he going to really, like, is he going to really zap me? I remember in, in school there were people who would use profane words and, and they would say things to try to get God to strike him dead right now. Hey, if you're really God, you're going to strike me dead if I say this, right? They're just completely mocking God. And that's what was happening in that day. I read an article just yesterday about protesters who were spotted outside a speaking event at Wisconsin College campus by a conservative commentator by the name of Matt Walsh. Many of you may know who he is. I don't always agree with all the things about him, but he is conservative. And, and these protesters were there on that campus, and they ended up surrounding and shot, shouting down a man who was simply reading the Bible right there uh, in front of that uh, area. And what they did is they snatched that Bible, they ripped it up, and one protester even took the pages of the Scriptures and they put them in his mouth. Complete mockery of God. Second Peter, you don't have to turn there, but I will. Second Peter in chapter number three. In verse number three, it says this. Knowing this, that there shall come in the last days, which by the way, ladies and gentlemen, we are in those last days. There shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Hey, I've heard that Jesus is coming. Yeah, right. When is that ever going to happen? They've been saying that for years, decades, centuries. Never going to come. 
Verse 5, for this they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Look, they scoffed God. They mocked God uh, back in Isaiah's day. And by the way, it's still going on today. There was in that day and in ours a disdain for God because of their sin. What else was going on there in Israel that proved that they were rebellious? Well, they were also filled with twisters of truth. And verse 20 of chapter 5, woe unto them. And most of us are familiar with this verse. We've heard it many times. And this no doubt describes the day in which we live. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. That put darkness for light, light for darkness. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. They took the truth and they completely twisted it. Has that happened in our day and age? I don't think most of us would disagree that it has. And uh, I do want to remind us, and this is important for the young people even to understand, that in this day and age where truth seems relative and truth is whatever it is to you, there is still in this day and age one absolute truth, and it is this book right here. Amen. This is the truth. I don't care what the media says. I don't care what the schools say. I don't care what teachers say. This is the truth. I don't care what the president, I don't care what pastors say. This is the truth. I don't care what I say. This is the truth. So if ever I say something that goes against this, I'm wrong. This is right. Psalm 119, verse 160, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. John 17, 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. This is the truth. The absolute truth. There is no other truth. Well, that's not how I feel. I'm sorry, but how you feel is wrong. I want to say that in kind and love in love, in kindness and love, but the truth is, look, God's word is true. Sometimes our feelings go contrary to the word of God, but God's word is true, and our feelings, therefore, are wrong in those moments. So we live in a day, of course, when truth is being twisted, when evil is promoted as good, and good is promoted then as evil. We see that today, don't we? Where darkness is presented as light, and light is presented as darkness, and bitter is presented as sweet, and sweet is presented as bitter. And those who speak the truth, guess what happens to them? They get booted off social media. They get canceled. Because they're calling out sin, and they're calling out what's right, right. And they're calling out what's wrong, wrong. We, Brother Rick alluded to this a little bit in his presentation, but, you know, these genders, the Bible simply says there are two genders. That's the truth. Okay, well, I looked it up several months ago, and there are 112 plus genders. So which one is right? Is that article right, or is the Word of God right? The Word of God is right. So they're only off by 110. 
So there's so much confusion. Why? Because we've walked away from the truth and we're twisting it. Yeah, there was a rebellion in that day because there were twisters of truth. They were also not only filled with that, but they were also filled with pride. In verse 21, Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. They no doubt were intellectual and they knew things and they had all kinds of knowledge and they were wise in their own eyes, but they didn't really understand the truth of God's Word. Romans reminds me of Romans 1 and verse 22 where it says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And that was them. We know what happens to those who deal with pride. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. When you start being lifted up and thinking you're all wise and, and you're the smartest guy in the room and all of that, be careful. Stories told of two, two ducks and a frog who lived happily together on a farm pond. They were the best of friends. These three would amuse themselves and play together in their beautiful water hole. And when the hot summer days came, though, the pond began to dry up. And soon it was evident they would have to find somewhere else to live. They would have to move. Well, this was no biggie for the ducks who could easily fly to another pond. The frog was stuck. Well, they talked about it and decided that they would put a stick in the bill of each duck that the frog could hang on to with his mouth as they flew to another pond. It was an ingenious idea to have all three friends together at the next pond. The plan worked well. So well, in fact, as they were flying along, a farmer looked up in admiration and mused, well, isn't that a clever idea? I wonder who thought of it. And the frog said, I did. <laughs> and as he did, he fell down. See, pride always brings destruction and brings forth a fall. And these people were so lifted up in their pride. We see that in our day and age too, where no one wants to listen to the gospel because I know better than all that. I've read the Bible and I already know all that stuff. They're wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. And what else defines their rebellion? Well, I think sixthly, here's the sixth woe that Isaiah issues to these people. He says in verse 22, they were filled with corrupt leadership. Verse 22, woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine. And the reference here to mighty is the ones who are up in leadership. It says, woe unto them that are mighty that they would drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink. Verse 23, which justify the wicked for reward. These would take bribes. They were, they were drunk. They, were, they didn't weren't thinking straight. And then they also were willing to take bribes in verse 23, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. And there's several things we could keep reading here about uh, what God's judgment is for them, but uh, I, I don't think most of us would agree that, or disagree that, uh, that there, most of us would agree that there is uh, leadership in our country that is corrupt. 
Now, I'm thankful for some who uh, endeavor to serve in that way and try to be a good godly testimony, but, uh, but we do know that there is a lot of corrupt leadership, yes, in the land of the free and the home of the brave. And, and by the way, both sides of the aisle. Well, we can't just, well, let's dump on the Democrats all day. No, no, no. Republicans are as guilty, for sure. So there has been corruption in high rankings of leadership uh, here in America as well as in Israel. So obviously the nation of Israel was indeed living in rebellion against the Lord, and they rightly deserved these woes that Isaiah issued. And, And it reminds me of the day in which we live here in America that uh, we were once a godly nation who oh, God brought us great victory and great freedom and, and, and we've turned our back on Him and kicked Him out of the schools. We don't want prayer. We don't want the Word of God, so let's give Him the big boot. Well, let's see how that's really panning out for us. That decision has been so wonderfully blessed of God, hasn't it? I'm actually a product of public school. And uh, I am thankful that God did what he did in my life. But schools have not gotten better since I've been in school. Um, So Isaiah here, he's first focused on the rebellion without. But then I want us to see in chapter number 6, it was time for Isaiah to have a focus on the righteousness above. Notice in verse number, or chapter 6 and verse number 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. See, for a while, Isaiah is kind of looking at his culture and saying how bad they are. And if we're not careful, we'll have that same mentality. I'm not saying that we don't need to be unaware, or we, need, we do need to be aware of what's going on around us, absolutely. We don't need to be okay with it. But here, I think Isaiah was developing kind of a critical spirit towards his own people. And if we're not careful, we'll develop that same critical spirit. And so I think it was so healthy for Isaiah to here to have a little field trip to the throne room of God. I think that completely changed everything for him, and it would change everything for us as well if we would get our focus not necessarily on the problems of those without, but on the purity and the glory of the one above. And so in this, we see that God here is, first of all, high and lifted up. Notice in verse number 1, he said, uh, in the year the king Uzziah died, and by the way, Uzziah was one who made Judah great again. That sound familiar? There was, Uzziah was not perfect. He got lifted up in pride. But ultimately, he was very good for the, nation, for the, for, for the kingdom of Judah. And, and good things happened under his watch. And Isaiah needed to get his eyes off of Uzziah and onto the Lord sitting upon a throne. Notice he's sitting upon a throne. With all the rebellion going on, you would think that God is up there pacing going, I can't believe my people are doing this. What's going on? How am I going to fix this? These are my people who I love. Oh, no. Ah, What's going to happen? But that's not the position 
Isaiah found the Lord in. He saw the Lord sitting upon a throne in complete control and not worried one bit. So those of us who look at culture and go, oh, God, don't you see what's going on? Yeah, he does. He's still on the throne. He's still in control. It's not panic. Trust him. So he sees him high and lifted up, sitting on that throne. Isaiah 57 and verse 15, Isaiah would later said, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. With him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. So he's high and lifted up, which is quite different where, where he's been looking. He's been looking this way. Now he's looking high and lifted up. But he's also not only high and lifted up, he's also holy. Emory Bancroft, in his book, Elemental Theology, said this about the holiness of God. The holiness of God is His most exalted and emphasized attribute, expressing the majesty of His moral nature and character. This might well be called the emphatic moral attribute of God. If there is any difference in importance between the moral attributes, then God's holiness seems to occupy the first place. It's good, good thought. The basic meaning of the word holiness is set apart or separation. On one side of the equation, God's holiness has to do with Him being completely separate or apart from evil or anything that defiles. On the other side, Scripture also teaches us that God's holiness means that He is the ultimate definition of perfection, purity, and absolute integrity in His nature and His character. John declared in his epistle, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declaring to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Another passage that makes this abundantly clear is in the little uh, prophet uh, Habakkuk's book. In Habakkuk 1, 12 and 13, he says, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, mine holy one? Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. So as Isaiah stared in silence, dumbfounded by the vision he saw here in Isaiah chapter number 6, the cry would sound out again and again and again. The substance of their songs of praise was a declaration of the holiness of God. In verse 2 it says this, Above it stood the seraphims, above his throne, Stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another. This is the song that is sung in the throne room of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You say, what, what song are they singing at the throne room of God? Well, verse... Number three tells us. Now, why is the word holy uttered three times? Very quickly, in English, we emphasize in our communication with italics. If you're writing an email to someone, you might italicize something. You might underline it. You might bold it. In a text message, when you bold something, it's right yelling at you. My wife's like, when are you going to be home? And her caps lock is... Uh, like on, I'm like, uh, right now? <laughs> I'm on my way. I'll probably be there soon. Uh, but we emphasize that way, right? But in the Hebrew language, 
they have an unusual way of expressing its uh, way to emphasize. And uh, we, we see this a lot of times of repetition that emphasize things. Paul said, rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verily, verily is an uh, emphasis word. Now, this repetition of holy, holy, holy is expressing an ultimate truth about God. Only on a handful of occasions does the Bible repeat or elevate something in the third degree. It does so about the holiness of God, both here in Isaiah chapter 6 and again in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 8, where we read, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was, which is, and is to come. See, God is not simply holy or even holy, holy. He is the thrice holy God. Seraphim and cherubim, the beings in closest proximity to God and most familiar with His presence, with what God is like, proclaim that holiness is the fullest expression of who and what the Lord is. Holiness is essential to who He is. 1 Samuel 2.2, There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. So, Isaiah goes from looking at the problems of everybody else, to now getting his eyes on the one who matters most, the Lord. But then thirdly, and I'm going to go through this very quickly here. Lastly, it was time for Isaiah to have a focus on the responsibility within. So after looking at everybody else and how bad everybody was, and then getting into the throne room of God and saying, Okay, God, I get it. You are holy. He took some inventory in his own life. And now he issues the seventh woe. He issued six to the nation of Israel and saying, Woe unto you because you're really bad. Woe unto you because of this and because of that. But now here the seventh woe comes, but it's not to anybody else, but to himself. Verse number five. Then said I, Woe is me. For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In this process here, we see first his conviction. See, once Isaiah realized just how holy the Lord really was, he was convicted of his own sin, and he saw God for who he really was, and then he kind of saw himself for who he really was too. He said, Lord, I'm not as good as maybe I thought I was. As I'm looking at everybody else and down my nose at everybody else in judgment and how bad everybody is, actually, there's some things in my life that need to get right too. You know, if we're not careful as believers, we'll just look at culture and say, look how bad everybody is. It's such a shame. But I'm glad I'm not like other people. Lord, I thank you I'm not like this publican is where I'm so faithful to church, and I'm such a good person. We get this spiritual pride building up in our lives. Look, let's get our eyes on God, see Him for who He is, and then we'll realize who we really are. He was convicted of his sin, and then we see his cleansing in verses 6 and 7. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. We, we had a little uh, fire pit last night, uh, we did some uh, campfire sandwiches and s'mores and marshmallows in the backyard. It was a beautiful night for that last night. 
And I can't imagine taking a live coal, a hot coal from that fire pit and putting it in my hand. Well, that's what the uh, seraphim was able to do, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. So here, uh, many Bible scholars do not believe this was Isaiah's salvation. They just believe that as a believer and as a follower of the Lord, this was a time for him to just get some revival and get right with God. I believe it's good for us to take some time to consider who we really are and do some real uh, searching in our hearts and to get really right with God. We had our revival just a couple weeks ago. I hope that that happened in your life. And you know what? We need to do that on a regular basis, not just wait till the annual revival services. But do it on really a daily basis. Lord, I want to be right with you. Please forgive me of my sin. And so we see his cleansing, but then thirdly, we see his commission. In verse number 8, now that he's right with God, now that he's a clean vessel, now in verse number 8, he was able to hear the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. In verse number 9, and God said to him, Go and tell this people. Go and tell this people. See, now Isaiah is in a place to serve the Lord in a holy and in a true, but also, listen to this one, a compassionate way. I'm not saying we need to minimize the sin of what's going on in our culture today. In fact, I think we need more more preaching on sin. That's what's been the problem is we haven't preached on sin, so people are going and living in it. But it's not, it's not that we need um, to minimize any of that, but we need to face it with some real compassion, knowing that, look, but for the grace of God, so go I. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I would be in the same boat. And so I'm not much better. I'm not any better than anybody else. I've been saved by the grace of God and and, and, and he has given me now a commission to go reach this world with the gospel of Christ, with love, with truth, and yes, with compassion and graciousness. So it doesn't take someone overly observant here to recognize that our culture is also filled with those who were, as, Isaiah, as I, uh, Israel was, they were filled with those who are greedy, those who are addicted, those who sin and mock our holy God, those who twist the truth, those who are proud, and those within leadership who are totally corrupt. And yet, if we're not careful, we can look down our noses at them and bemoan the condition of our culture in judgment. See, what we need to do is what Isaiah needed as well. We need to get our eyes on the Lord who is high and lifted up. We need to see Him on His throne in complete control. We need to see Him as the thrice holy God, and then we're brought to humility and encouraged to get right with God so that we can be clean vessels for, us, for Him to use to make a difference. And then to reach out with the truth and love to share the gospel with a heart of compassion. One last thought and then we'll wrap it up. R.A. Torrey once explained the wonderfulness of God's love. It would be no wonder if an unholy God could love unholy men, but that God whose name is holy, the infinite holy God, and love beings like us so utterly sinful as we are. That is the wonder of the eternities. There are many deep mysteries in the Bible, but no other so profound as this. See, God is indeed holy, and you and I are not. 
But God in His love and grace has made a way for you and I to know Him. He sent His only Son to this earth. He was born of a virgin in Bethlehem's manger. He lived a perfect and sinless life. Since He is the Holy One, He was crucified then on the cross just outside of Jerusalem on a mount called Mount Calvary. It was there that the Holy One actually became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. It was there He demonstrated His love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Well, after He died, He was placed in a borrowed tomb. They put a large stone over the entrance of that tomb to ensure that no one could go in or no one could go out. Well, three days later, that stone ended up rolling away. And Jesus rose from the dead to prove that He was indeed God in human flesh and that He could provide eternal life for you and for me. That message has changed the lives of countless people since. And today, maybe it could change yours as well. How can we have a relationship with God? By believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. John said in his gospel, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. The wrath of God abideth on him. So today, if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, God loves you. Yes, he's holy, but he loves you enough that he sent his son to die for you so that you can spend eternity with him. And for those of us who are believers, let's not look at culture with these judgmental eyes, but rather let's look at culture with the heart of compassion Yes, we're not, no, we don't need to follow their footsteps and be like the world, but we do need to reach them with love and compassion in our hearts. With that, let's pray and we'll dismiss. Lord, thank you for the time together today. Lord, our culture, our nation has in many ways turned their back on you. And I know it's not all negative. It's not all bad. There are some bright spots in this culture. I'm thankful for many good churches even like this one, who stand as beacons of light and do declare and proclaim the truth. But Lord, there are some within this culture that are living a life of rebellion towards you. And Father, I pray that you would give us a heart of compassion, not a heart of judgmental, negative, critical spirit towards them, but a heart of compassion to reach them with the gospel. Help us, Lord, to maintain truth and to be holy even as you are holy. Lord, I pray you give us a heart of compassion, though, for those who are lost. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to make sure that we're right with you, that we're those clean vessels that you can use to reach this community and this world for your glory.